And uh, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. When he says here the words, but you, he's contrasting them uh, to others who had rejected Christ. In verses 7 and 8, we see this. It says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, and so you can see the the transition here, but you, see, <clears throat> others had stumbled being disobedient to the word. Now, we live in a world and in a society where many uh, of our countrymen are in this condition. They stumble being disobedient to the word. We see it all around us. It can be discouraging to us. We need to remember that in every generation and in every society and nation, this has been the case since the beginning of the gospel. Uh, There's nothing new or peculiar to our time and our nation and our world today. They stumble being disobedient. So our text tonight begins with this uh, two words, but you. And I'm glad to hear such news, aren't you? I'm glad that there are uh, there's a but you. There's an unbelieving world all around us, but there's also the but you. There's also the but gods in the Bible, and not only there, but all around us in the church and intermingled in our society all around us, and there are all kinds of them. There are Baptist but yous, and there are Presbyterian but yous, and there are Church of God but yous, and Lutheran but yous, and Methodist, and all kinds of flavors more even than Baskin-Robbins. Uh, here, God tells us something about these but yous, and these are called out ones, these whom Peter in chapter 1 calls the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who these are. Now, if you're one of these, never be ashamed of it. Uh, though the nations and Though that others may uh, mock you and despise you, don't ever be ashamed to be in this category of people, those that have been obedient to the word of God. We are, it says, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So let's uh, just uh, mention just a few things about each of these categories. He says we are a chosen generation. It's hard to get around the doctrine of election, isn't it? In chapter 1, he describes us as elect. Here he says the same thing with a different word that means the same thing. 
We are chosen. Listen, if God hadn't chosen you, you would have never chosen him. And 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 sure you know that. We owe everything to God. We brought nothing to the table but our sin and our guilt. So God would not have us glory in anything but his grace. So he reminds us of that continually throughout Scripture, that it is God who saves us by his grace. By grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. We need to never forget that. This is first, so that we might not boast in ourselves when we consider the other great things and the exalted things that God says about us here in this passage. So he also goes on and says, we are a royal priesthood. Now, those are two words that you don't find put together uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. You don't see these things. Now, think of how amazing this is. Because in the Old Testament, royalty was not allowed to enter the priesthood. These were separate. And you remember the story of Uzziah. He was a very great and mighty king, and he reigned for many, many years. But then towards the end of his reign, he got proud, and he wanted to go in and offer incense. That was the priest's job to do. And remember, the priest withstood him to his face. And, uh, and then while he was angry with the priest, here, let me read it. Second Chronicles 26, 19 through 21 says, Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord besides the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, looked at him, and there on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. So don't mess with God. And he learned that. But in the Old Testament, no matter how great of a king you were, you were not allowed to enter the priesthood or do the function of the priest. Um, and... Uh, 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 but uh, here it says that we are a royal priesthood. Uh, that's very exalting. Uh, we ought not to take this lightly. Notice it doesn't say that we will be a royal priesthood someday. We're a royal priesthood right now. Uh, we're going to exercise that privilege tonight as we enter into prayer together as the body of Christ. We're going to speak to God on behalf of others. That's what priests do. This is what a priest does. He intervenes with God for others. And this great privilege is not limited to just, uh, uh, to just men. Uh, all the women and the children that are Christians have the same privilege. You ladies, you're a royal priesthood. And, um, and so, uh, and so, uh, do you pray for your friends and your siblings and and uh, others around you, you should, because you have this great privilege of being a royal priest. And um, so don't miss out on that privilege. Do pray. Pray for others and pray for yourselves. Uh, don't act like a stranger to God. Be there often at the throne of grace. You have ready access to God. And, uh, and, uh, and we have that access through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You're a prince or a princess going to the king. And, you know, it's amazing. It's a great privilege. It's a privilege we take for granted too often. Every time you're prayerless when you ought to be prayerful, you are, you are neglecting your privileges in Christ. But he says that we are also a holy nation. A holy nation. Remember that our primary citizenship is not that of being Americans, as Daniel mentioned this morning in the scripture reading. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. We are God's own special people, it says here. I remember my dad was a Mason, and he would like to tell me stories of the Masons and you know uh, how, how he says, you know, as a Mason, I can go anywhere in the country. I run into fellow Masons, and we have such a brotherhood together. And, and, uh, and, and, and I did hear a story. I don't think it was from him, but a story of uh, uh, where Sherman's March to the Sea, where there was one mansion that was left unburned, undestroyed. You know, he destroyed everything in its path. And this one mansion, the union officer went in to destroy it, and he saw uh, a picture of the owner of the mansion, a portrait of him, and on his hand he had a Masonic ring. And so he refused to let his soldiers destroy the mansion, and the mansion, uh, I understand it's standing today, and that picture is still there on the wall. And so that's quite a testimony to their fellowship. But I used to want to tell my dad, and I never did, but I wanted to tell him, you know, I'm a Christian, and I know wherever I run into Christians, anywhere anywhere I find them, uh, and I've run into Christians in, in Great Britain and, and, uh, and uh, all around the United States, and I've run into them that are all different colors and all different denominations, but I have something in common with them right away. And you know, especially those of you that have traveled at all or been around at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a far closer bond with fellow Christians than the Masons ever even dreamed of. Uh, R.C. Sproul was, I was listening to him uh, not too long ago, and he was telling a story about him when him and Mrs. Sproul and uh, some others were in Romania, or they're going to Romania, as I understand. They were on the train, and they had been warned that the Romanians, uh, that Romania back in those days was behind the Iron Curtain, so they were communists. And so that these communist border guards, when they would see an American, they'd give them all kinds of trouble. Well, they stopped at the train station at the border, and a couple of burly Romanian soldiers got on, and, and they asked for their passports, and they saw their American, and, and they were starting to brace themselves for trouble. And then their boss, their, their, their uh, commanding officer came on board, and and he, he saw them, and he saw one of the ladies that had a Bible. And so he took her Bible away from her, and he opened the Bible, and he said, You know American? He says, I know Romanian. We're fellow citizens. And he pointed to a passage like this in the Scripture. We're fellow citizens of heaven. And he pointed to heaven, and he let her have her Bible back, and he told his guards, These people are fine, and he let them go. But isn't that something, you know? And uh, but that's but that's what the bond we have. We are a holy nation. We are uh, we are a special people. Uh, uh, we have our citizenship in heaven, and we should never forget that. That is our primary citizenship. 
We have an identity that transcends all earthly boundaries. It transcends differences in nations and in cultures and all ethnic differences. Um, I understand the church in Israel has Arab members and Jewish members all mixed together in the same church, and it's a glorious thing. It's a great example of Arab and, and Jewish harmony there. But it, what did it? Christ is what did it. It's Christ. It was the gospel. So we, as God's special people, should be very careful not to ever despise others, not to get caught up into sectarianism, um, thinking that somehow we're better than other Christians because we're Reformed or because we're Baptists or whatever else that we might identify with. Our, identify, our identity is with Christ and with all true believers of all stripes. So do you see the sense here in this verse of the Holy Spirit kind of heaping up titles and privileges for the people of God. You get that sense, don't you? We're a, we're a, we're a, we're a, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He's just heaping these things up on us for our benefit. And uh, you see, these people were uh, persecuted and they were troubled. And they were a group of Christians that had, that had experienced a lot of suffering. So he's comforting them with these things. Uh, these things were written to encourage and to strengthen them and to help them to walk by faith and not by sight because we sure don't look like a holy nation. We sure don't look very royal, do we? I mean, the world doesn't look at us and, whoa, there's a Christian. And they say, oh, that's a prince. That's, that's a prince of God or that's a princess of God. They don't do that, do they? But it's something we have to believe by faith. That's the way God looks at you. Not the way the world looks at you. And we have to understand that. It's these things we must receive as the word of God. And, and, uh, and uh, let all the words of men perish, but the word of God will stand forever. Jesus said, my word shall not pass away. And he says these things about us. And that's where we should, we should take encouragement from them. Um, and notice the word that in verse 9 where it says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, its own special people, that... That, he says, that you may proclaim his, uh, uh, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This means that we're to be a worshiping and a witnessing people. We're going to be a proclaiming people. And we need to proclaim to ourselves and we need to proclaim to others. Proclaiming the praises of God, not proclaiming the praises of men. Not proclaiming our own praises, but the praises of God. That is, him who, him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And what darkness he's called us out of. What deep darkness. You ever remember when the children of Israel, one of the plagues of, in Egypt was darkness? And it was darkness such that a lantern wouldn't light it up. It was so dark that no matter how many matches you burned, how many lanterns, it was still dark. That's a, that was a, that's a really thick, thick darkness. You know, when Jesus says, those that reject him will be cast out into outer darkness, then you think about, well, you know, hell, if hell is flames, flames give off light. And so how can he call it outer darkness? I think that's how. It doesn't matter how many flames you have there, it's still dark. And um, uh, it's uh, in the darkness that we were in before we were saved, again, was not a literal darkness, was it? But it was a thick darkness. 
It was a heavy darkness. It was a darkness that truly blinded you, no matter how much light you shined on it. You'll shine all the light in the world on your darkness as a lost person, and you're just as dark as you were before the light shined on you, unless the Holy Spirit makes that light to shine within your heart. We were in thick darkness. Do you remember the darkness that you were once in? Now, there again, I know that there are some of you that don't remember that because you're saved as a very, very young child. And I know uh, some of your testimonies, and I know that's true. Um, And uh, I think that is a wonderful and a glorious thing, and you're not a second-class Christian because of that. But, uh, in fact, you're first-class Christian because of that, because you've avoided a whole lot of shameful things that uh, us others have had to will have to regret. But... uh, uh, you can also have an appreciation for the darkness that speaks up by observing the lives of people around you. I remember the darkness I was in, but I'm really reminded of that as I interact with people in the world and I see them stumbling over the same things I stumbled over and try to get them to see it, try to help, you know, grab a hold of them and explain to them what they're doing and they don't get it. They don't get it because they're still in that darkness. See, you can see them stumbling over such obvious things. They make such horrible life decisions, and then they suffer the consequences, and they never connect the dots. While you see all this, and you're helpless to help them because of the blindness of their hearts. That's the darkness that he's speaking of here, that darkness that you escaped because of God's calling on your life. You're called out of darkness You're not better than they are, but you had the privilege of the call of God calling you out of that thick darkness. But God doesn't call us out of that darkness into nothing. He calls us out of that darkness into something that here he calls his marvelous light. And it is a marvelous light. What is it to marvel at something? Well, the Oxford American Dictionary says to marvel is to be filled with wonder, to be astonished. See, it's a marvelous light. We see this light, and as Christians, and here I'm a Christian, and you know what? A couple months ago, I had a 50th anniversary. No, not just two months. No, last month, April 1973, is when I came to Christ. And I saw this light for the first time. And it's 50 years later, and guess what? It's still marvelous. I think it's marvelous. It's wonderful. And I never stop praising God for the marvelous light that he's brought into my life through the gospel. It is a marvelous light. Uh, I remember the first time, or the only time, I've ever walked up to the Grand Canyon. And some of you have seen that, and, and, and I imagine you've all seen pictures. But I tell you, I walked up to that, I said, wow. You know, I, I've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. Nothing's like actually being there and just walking up and seeing it. It's just like, it's, it, it's, it's a marvel. It really is a wonder. And that's what he's talking about. When we think about God's grace, that kind of marvel, we, we, we see, we were like, we, we really take, get a good look at it. We just, wow, wow. The gospel is marvelous. And the light that he brings us into is marvelous. Um, so much truth, so much blessedness for us, so much wisdom I see in God's ways, and the older I get, the more wisdom I see in them. And haven't you seen God do things in your life and in the lives of others that just 
for the lack of a better term, just blow you away. You ever had God intervene, answer a prayer in such a way that you just, thank you, God. Thank you. Uh, just amazing things that God does in our lives. And we should never lose the wonder of those things. These things are accidents. It's not a coincidence. The devil would come along and say, oh, you know, that was just a coincidence. Don't believe him. God is at work. He works among his people in marvelous and wonderful ways. And I've seen trials that seemed the most horrible things that could ever happen to me. And I've seen them turned into blessings that are beyond description. And I have to say, God, thank you for taking me through every single one of them. I needed every single one of them. And you did my soul good in every single one of them. I never got hurt. The devil never touched me. I never lost a thing through one of God's trials. And God has always been faithful. God's word has guided me around so many pitfalls and kept me from so many dangerous snares. And all of God's people experience these same things. God's providence protects and helps us. Our eyes see the glory of God that others all around us are blind to. And uh, I remember listening to a couple ladies here recently in a conversation at the blood center. And uh, they're talking about uh, some things with springtime or whatever. And, and what I'm saying, isn't nature wonderful? Well, it wasn't my conversation or I would have said it something, but I wanted to say, no, nature, nature is wonderful only because God is wonderful and God has put these forces and these wonderful things in nature. And don't call nature wonderful. Praise God and call God wonderful. That's one of the things I hate about the doctrine of evolution because it takes away the praise that ought to go to God. When we see the wonders of creation all around us, it should make us say, wow, God, that's amazing what you're doing, what you've done. And so, uh, and so, uh, 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 how about the marvelous peace that God gives us in all kinds of trials? And as we read in Philippians 4, or we uh, didn't read it tonight, but I've been reading this in my devotions here recently, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This peace of God, it surpasses understanding. How can you have peace when you go through some of the things that I know that some of you go through? You know how you have that peace? It's because God is good. God's grace is working in your life, and God is being good to you, and he's giving you grace, and therefore you have the peace of God when you go through your troubles. That darkness that we were called out of is a very thick darkness, but the light that we're called into is a very, very marvelous light. And then in verse 10, he gives us a further description of our privileges in Christ. We were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, a Jewish believer would have quickly understood what Peter was referring to. In Hosea... In chapter 1, the second child of his wife, Gomer, God called her, told him to name her Lo-Ruhamah, which literally means no mercy. And the third child that was, called, that was born to them uh, or uh, into his household was Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And, uh, and this was to signify that God was ready to bring judgment upon Israel for their unfaithfulness and their idolatry. So he said, you call her name this because I will no longer show mercy. And you call him this 
because you are no longer my people. God was giving notice of uh, his uh, uh, of his judgment upon them. And so uh, uh, here in Peter's epistle, uh, these are to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And so I can see a Jew reading this and say, what do you mean not a people? I was a Jew. I've been a Jew all my life. I'm a people. Uh, but no, he says, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. But the Jews would have known this prophecy of Hosea, and they would say, God is saying, now now you are my people, and now you are those that I show mercy to. And uh, uh, he's restored them in Christ. And this is not only for the Jews, but it's for all of us, Gentiles alike. It's a normal and common phenomenon, especially seen in America, where we see so many various people groups here in America. But Sometimes they even tend to live in the same community, often limiting their social interaction within that, uh, that particular people group that they belong to. Uh, this has always been a trait in America, which is known as the melting pot of the world. If you go back a century or so, or so we'd see a German community or a um, Italian community, Polish communities, Irish communities. And you don't see that so much. Rockford was a Scandinavian community. That's why in Rockford you run into so many Andersons and Carlsons and Pearsons and uh, Nicholson and you know all these uh, names that end in son. Well, that's a Scandinavian uh, 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 origin. And so much of the remnant that remains, though, uh, now much of the common identity and feeling of community among them is gone, but that used to be, Rockford used to be a Scandinavian community. So people tend to derive a sense of security, a sense of protection, a sense of identity in their lives by belonging to a particular people group. With the kingdom of God, the people of God, they transcend all earthly people groups. And everyone in the heavenly people group has obtained the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We were not a people, but now we are a people. And my testimony is that I was once not a people. And I had not obtained mercy. But when God called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, then he brought me into the greatest fellowship of people that I could ever imagine, the people of God. And they're not perfect. And sometimes I can get angry with them, but I can get angry with my earthly brother too. But they're still my people. I was not a people, but now I am a people. I'm part of the people of God. And being part of this great nation, this people of God, is a wonderful, wonderful experience that we should never give up. So as we pray together tonight, let's keep that in mind. And even ladies, as you pray along with us men, remember your your prayers, you're a royal priesthood as well. And God is hearing your prayers just as much as he is us. So, are you one of the people of God? And if not, why not? As I said this morning, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all the privileges we have in Christ. We thank you so much for the uh, the fellowship of the gospel. We thank you so much for all these wonderful titles that you give us, Lord. It's it's uh, it's mind-boggling. We can't understand it because we don't see any of these things here today in, the, in our lives. Uh, but we do experience it in our fellowship with you in the, and the communion of the saints. So be with us, Lord, we pray, and bless us even as we pray together tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.